from Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Canada podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a priority for businesses who want to retain staff and prevent burnout, this is the source of information for creating sustainable and psychologically healthy workplaces in Canada. Welcome to Psych Health and Safety in Canada podcast. And today I'm really excited to welcome Lydia D. Francesco. Um, Lydia is a fellow Sicilian, so we've already bonded on that basis. And uh, looking at her LinkedIn and some of the things that she's done, um, she's got a lot to share with us today. So Lydia, let's start with you sort of talking about your journey and how you got to where you are today. Sure, absolutely. And thanks for having me on your podcast, Marianne. It's it's such a pleasure to to get to know you and talk to you and share my insights with your listeners. Um, So, oh my goodness, where do I start? I'm going to keep it short. (laughs) Uh, Basically, I got into wellness almost on a fluke. I started out as a group fitness instructor and then transitioned from there into doing personal training. So I've been in the industry, in the wellness space, let's say, for over 12 years. And uh, basically just kind of transitioning and learning more as I grow as as a person and developing. And I've landed in this space now where I'm really excited about because I get to share all my years of experience, basically experimenting on myself and my clients, learning about wellness and how we can keep it simple. And I know we were talking uh, earlier about a post that I just made on LinkedIn, where I was sharing about how I was cleaning up my medicine cabinets and my beauty products and getting rid of the things that I'm not using or that I don't need. And that's one of the things that I I do like to share about is, is really keeping things simple. And I think a lot of times the media and other places overcomplicate health and wellness. And Generally speaking, it doesn't need to be as complicated. So that's kind of part of what of what of part of my mission is to really help encourage people um, to see that it can be not as daunting as they might think. And uh, a lot of the ways that I do this now is through the corporate work, uh, corporate doing corporate wellness programs, doing workshops, that sort of thing. Um, and it's really great because I get to impact a lot of people at once, and uh, and really get to see some things shift and change. And, uh, you know, we're talking about health and uh, psychological safety in the workplace. And I see the work that I do really as a component of helping to move the needle and move the dial on changing cultures in workplaces. So I come at it from that wellness lens. Um, But a lot of the stuff I talk about really is about changing how culture is perceived, helping to create a culture of wellness and well-being within an organization. And definitely a lot of that does relate back to that uh, psychological safety component. Yeah. Um, you put down in your bio that you work with busy, time-starved professionals. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, she works with people like me. <laughs> <laughs> and so your concept yeah. of keeping it simple, I think will really resonate with people who say, I can't stop and do jumping jacks. And I can't have a chef to give me, you know, vegetarian meals all day. So Mm -hmm. tell me how with all of my stress, all of my demands, all of my responsibilities, you would suggest that I manage well being at work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, you know, a lot of it is is a time management piece. But it's also I find a mindset shift and that, and what I mean by that is essentially looking at 
healthiness and healthy lifestyle as that, as a lifestyle that you adopt and you embody always as just a part of your life, as opposed to a set period of time when you're going to follow a strict regime. So a lot of times when people are looking to get healthier, sort of they think they want to stay healthy, they try out like a 30 day this or a 60 day that where they are very structured and disciplined, but like almost too much. And it's not sustainable. And so the type of healthy lifestyle that I like to share with people is that if you want to do something that is sustainable, and is so instead of cutting out the sugars and the chips and the chocolates for a month, just eat healthy most of the time and enjoy those things also, right? And that is a more sustainable approach. Or instead of, you know, beating yourself up because you missed a workout because you're trying to work out five days a week, why don't you focus on three days a week and even keeping it as a short period of exercise, but make it effective? Like there's a lot of ways that people can do effective exercise, for example. Um, a lot of it too, honestly, is the sleep aspect and getting better sleep. It's, that's something I definitely learned uh, over the last number of years was so important. I would almost really put it more like ahead of uh, exercise and nutrition, to be honest. Um, and I know that we hear a lot about exercise and nutrition and they're absolutely important. But if you're not getting good quality sleep at a decent amount of time, like a length of time, it's really going to mess up your body. And it's not actually going to, even if you do the exercise and the eating well and all that, if you're not sleeping well, it's really honestly like almost a waste of your time. <laughs> like it's not going to help. Right. So um, now a big problem with getting good sleep is that people can be working later. And so that comes into play when you're, you know, looking at your life and looking at your schedule. Um, so that may be conversations with your team, with your boss about workplace demands, workload, those types of things. Um, so I think that is important to, to consider as well. But it's also the idea of placing the importance on these things, right? And looking at your life as a whole and thinking about how can I have a healthy lifestyle, right? So for me, that means things like active living where I'm walking a fair bit. I'm uh, blessed to be living downtown Ottawa. I actually don't own a car. And so I have to commute often if I'm walking around or riding my bike. Uh, I do have access to a car that we rent, but, you know, that's here and there. So I think people, you know, prioritizing, getting outside, going on shorter walks, little things like that that aren't too time consuming, but can actually be really effective. And I think the problem is that people often think they need to do these big, huge, splashy things in order for things to be effective, right? You have to do that Peloton workout for an hour, um, right? In order to, to see some results. And they don't see necessarily the value in sometimes these shorter little things. Uh, but the reality is, is that all the little things that you do will add up to the big result that you're looking for. And again, the overall lifestyle um, of healthy living, right? So I like to take uh, that sort of 80-20 approach in, in general, in terms of just all the different things that relate to healthy living. And I try and just be consistent and not perfect. Uh, I'm absolutely not perfect with the things that I do. Um, and that's really okay. And I think if we can get away from the guilty feelings uh, when we 
maybe have a bad day or we mess up or we do something that we think is not the right thing to do, you know, learn to shrug it off and just keep moving forward with your, your healthy habits. I think that's honestly really just the best and most like, even from a mental standpoint, like it's the healthier approach overall. Mm -hmm. I think this is what I learned, Lydia, is that if I embed these, I call them micro changes, but the little Mm -hmm. tiny healthy habits, I'll stick with it. But any of those long-term big plans, yeah, yeah. They, they're yeah. there for a while and you feel really good about it. And then it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I can't do it anymore. And you yeah, let it go. Exactly. So a lot of what you've described here is what we as individuals can do. But let's mm-hmm. bring it back to an organization. How might they sure. embed healthy habits in business as usual for their employees other than, you know, the one day workshop or, um, (laughs) you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's a great question. And I mean, it, it definitely can take some time. And like I was talking about the cold culture shift idea, I think it, it's part of it is, um, embedding different ways of working or different practices. So what I mean by that is just as, as an example, making it not weird for someone to be going on a walk while they're in a group team meeting, let's say, right? Like making that okay, that if I don't need to be in front of my computer screen and we're doing like a all hands team meeting or something, I can put my earbuds in and go on a walk. And that isn't strange or no one's going to be like thinking that I'm not working while I'm doing, do you know what I mean? So something like that, or uh, definitely a huge, huge component comes from the leaders and the leadership. And really practicing uh, the healthy aspects that they are trying to tell their employees to do. So, for example, an easy one is lunch breaks. A lot of times, you know, your boss will say to you, oh, you know, make sure you take your lunch break. But then they don't take theirs, which, you know, a lot of times employees will then look to that behavior and be like, oh, okay, well, they're not taking their lunch break. So I don't know if I can really take mine or if I should, or I have all this work to do. Whereas if they're seeing these micro habits or other bigger habits modeled by their leaders, they can feel more free to do that same behavior. And again, I think that's part of a culture that a company creates. Um, Another component, uh, like I mentioned, was workload. Um, And I'll kind of loop in boundaries in there as well. I think it's important for a leader to chat with their team about workload, chat with their team about boundaries, especially in terms of flexible working times, especially in terms of emails. And what are the expectations? So, you know, these days with a lot of people working from home, And, you know, managing this sort of work-life integration that has really taken over in the last number of years, Um, some people may be working in the morning and some of the afternoon and then take a little break if they have younger children, they want to see their kids, they have supper, and then maybe they're working later in the evening. And that should be fine. And that's cool. But have the conversation about when these employees are working later and they're sending emails it's understood that there's not an obligation that the other employees that maybe are working an earlier schedule and finishing earlier, they're not obligated to be responding to those emails, right? And I think the key thing is having the actual conversation. When we don't have a conversation about it, 
it's unknown. So people just make assumptions and they may be making incorrect assumptions. Um, so I think, again, having the conversations, modeling the behavior is really important um, and really just building it in. And I'm working with a, a company right now who they have, uh, they use Slack. And so they have like a bunch of different Slack channels and they have a Slack channel for wellness. And every day, I don't know if it's automatic or how it works, but some somehow there's a post that goes out that's reminding people to do like 10 push-ups. Like it's just a for fun thing. Um, but again, it's part of their culture that they built it in, that they just have these fun little, almost like mini challenges or mini things that they're doing um, to, to keep their people active, to keep reminding them. Um, so I think there is an individual component where it's the onus is on the employee as an employee to maybe ask questions or challenge certain things or challenge the norms, but there's also the leader and the organization as a whole that has a little bit of a part to play as well. So it's, it's both sides. Yeah, it, it is both sides. Uh, you know, something you said earlier about um, walking the talk and what I say to people who work with me is we're talking about psychological safety. We're talking about workplace mental health and we can't be mm -hmm. hypocrites. We can't mm -hmm. say you do this and we're not going to. And so that, that guilt yeah. is a great motivator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just, it's, it's hard because, you know, the, the leaders, they, they're telling their staff one thing and they're, they're doing a different behavior. And the way that we work as humans is we look to the behavior. That's what we're going to believe. If you say one thing, but you're doing another thing, well, we're going to believe what you're doing as opposed to what you're saying. Well, and the message is, you don't need to, but anybody who wants to be in a leadership position needs to, is, is the mm -hmm. message that people get when it's crossed like that. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, exactly. Um, you also talked about making assumptions, which of course is part of the human condition, but in a workplace, those assumptions can cause huge stress and misunderstandings, even conflict. Mm -hmm. And having that open conversation is something you and I both agree that the work of Adam Grant, who wrote Think Again, um, mm -hmm. he really gets into that. And I'm just wondering if you can share some of the concepts from Adam Grant that you most enjoy or use in your work. So what I love about Adam Grant is he tells it like it is. <laughs> he doesn't sugarcoat. He doesn't, you know, make things look like all rainbows and unicorns. Like he really just tells a straight, honest truth about things. And I think he has a really good approach to the workplace and to well-being and culture. And uh, so I really, I really value that. I think that that's important. Um, you know, he talks a lot about this sort of thing where we're talking about like being open and honest. And especially for leaders, I think that that's, that's really important. I think for them to, it's a fine line, right? Where you're, you're sharing maybe your, your own personal side of things or some struggles or whatever, you know, when we talk about psychological safety, I think trust is, is a key factor there. And so, you know, you, you want to be open to a certain extent, but you're also in a leadership position. So you're somewhat guarded. So it's, it's a fine line and I can absolutely appreciate that. But I think, especially these days, um, you know, that type of thing goes a really long way. You know, when you're a leader and you're open about if you ha are having struggles or, 
um, you know, whether it's like a serious thing or something that's a little less serious, uh, I think it, it really can go a long way in, in encouraging your employees and, and creating a great environment where, where people can thrive. Um, I think that's, that's key. And, and, you know, these days people are looking for authenticity. I think we're over fake, <laughs> you know, we're done with that. We're looking for, for people who are real and honest and not trying to, you know, pretend to be something they're not. I think the pandemic was really great at just kind of showcasing uh, people's realities. You know, when we have these Zoom calls and, you know, people have messy backgrounds behind them or like, oh, excuse me, I need to go deal with my crying child or, or you know, that sort of thing. I think in a way uh, it really humanized us a little bit more, um, you know, when we when we let it. Uh, and I think that that's, that's not a bad thing, you know, for, for people to learn to see their colleagues as a little bit more of a, a human being as opposed to, you know, their work colleague and that's kind of the end of it. So what I get, Lydia, from different leaders is a fear that if mm-hmm. they say, bring your authentic self to work. That will be a negative, critical, cranky, miserable person. And we don't want that authentic self. And um, as a leader, too, there's a fear of oversharing, um, Mm -hmm. of making it all about you uh, Mm -hmm. when you're being authentic. I mean, the question I always ask myself is, if you want to share this, whose needs are you serving? You know, is this really mm-hmm. going to enrich people? Is it going to be helpful? Is it going to be validating? Or sure. is it your need to vent? So what's your advice yeah. about those balances, bringing your whole self when your whole self is not very pleasant for other people? <laughs> and also, yeah. when is authenticity gone too far? Yeah, those are great questions. And I love that question that you ask yourself, like, whose needs are this serving? I think, to be honest, um, many people should ask themselves that question when they're posting on LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of, uh, you know, opening up and, and, or uh, sorry, being your authentic self of your grumpy pants. I mean, I, I think it's, it's a, again, it's a balance. I don't think I I'm trying to advocate for, yeah, bring your cranky self. But I do also think that there's value in um, being self-aware. And so if you're, I mean, if you're cranky and in a bad mood, always like seek some help really, to be honest, uh, figure out what's going on in your life and, and why you're, you're in such a bad mood all the time. Like probably something more is going on and you probably need either some counseling or just other supports. Maybe there's just a lot of chaos in your life and you just need to figure out how to get better help for that. Um, But we all have bad days and I don't think that's a problem, but I think it's maybe being honest with yourself about that. And I, I, I did a post uh, not too long ago about how I've learned for myself when certain times, let's say if I haven't gotten enough sleep, speaking about sleep again, um, if I'm tired, if I'm haven't eaten enough or for whatever reason, I'm just kind of low. I do not make big, important decisions on those days because I am probably not going to make the right decision. 
right? Oftentimes when we're in that kind of a headspace, we're thinking maybe a little bit more emotionally versus rationally, and we may make a wrong choice. And what I've realized or what I've learned is that it's okay to acknowledge that in myself. And I've even had in times when I'm working with colleagues, uh, you know, when they're asking me to make a decision on something, I will ask them, do I need to make a decision today? Because I'm really not in the best headspace to be making a decision today. Right. And I will ask to postpone making a decision because I know that I'm not in a good place that day. And I think as leaders, then it's important for you to recognize that in yourself and if appropriate, make others aware. <laughs> right. And you can even just say like to your team, depending, I mean, everyone has such different work situations, but you know, if there's a, if there's a way in your work time, you can maybe just have a bit of a different work day that day where instead of all your colleagues coming to you and if that's going to be too much and you're going to be too cranky, like let them know, like I am just, I'm, for whatever reason, you don't have to give examples, but you can just say, I'm just not in a great headspace today. So if we can just push certain things off to tomorrow, that would be great. You know what I mean? So again, you can kind of just, now again, if it's day after day, that's a, another issue. But if it's a one-off, I think it's totally fine. And I think, again, it sets the tone that we are all realizing that not all of us have perfect days and we can't always be super happy every single day. And there may be times when maybe something bad happened or something triggered you and you just are having a day and that we can acknowledge that that's okay. Again, we're all human um, and and support each other in that and make it okay that we can just, we're still working, but maybe let's not have a ton of, you know, don't come to me with all the things I need to solve today because today is not the day for me to solve them. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. But that does take a degree of self-awareness. So how mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> would you help um, an organization or a team where that self-awareness doesn't currently exist? Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely, you're very right. It does take self-awareness, which takes some time to build. Um, I think the first step in learning to be more self-aware is, is taking a bit of time is not a loss of time, but like honing in on how paying attention to how you're feeling that day, uh, mentally, physically, even just starting with that. Right. And you could even just start with the physical side. If, if the mental or emotional side is a bit too much, right. Uh, you know, when you get up, you start your day, how am I feeling today? Uh, do I have energy? Am I tired? Am I lethargic? Uh, you know, is my body feeling achy or sore? Or do I feel like strong? You know what I mean? Focusing maybe on the physical stuff first. That's the easy stuff, right? It's pretty easy to know physically how you're feeling. Um, and then, you know, build on top of that, right? You're starting to develop these awareness skills where you're actually paying attention to your body, right? Our bodies talk to us all the time and we have learned not to pay attention. We push things down, we push things away, we suck it up, uh, right? So I think focusing on the physical stuff first and then maybe focusing a little bit more on maybe the mental side or the emotional side or like, all right, what's my mental state at today? Uh, what's my emotional state at today? How am I feeling? Am I feeling, you know, happy, sad, joyful, angry, et cetera? I mean, we obviously throughout a day, we can have a, a myriad of emotions, um, right? But overall, what is your what is your state of being? And I think 
it goes back to a lot of the things that I've talked about too, where it's, or I haven't said it exactly like this, but basically it's a journey and a practice, right? So we, I get that's part of the mindset shift in terms of shifting to that lifestyle where you're realizing that not everything is going to be fixed or solved or happen in a short period of time. It can take many months or even years. And I mean, even for me, like the self-awareness, like I'm still working on that, right? I'm not arrived. Um, you know, so I think understanding and being okay with the fact that this is a process and a journey and that as long as you're making little tiny baby steps in the right direction, that that's great and you're making progress and you're moving forward. And even if you do have setbacks, that's fine too. Get back up, keep going. Um, and I think, yeah, I think there's also really actually, if I come back to the, the self-awareness and how to get started on that, the first step is actually wanting to. Because sometimes people don't want to. They want to ignore the things. And so, yes, so I'm going to recant what I said <laughs> and say that the very first step is wanting to do it. You want to become more self-aware and then you start paying attention and, and little by little, you'll, you'll get better at it. Well, you know, in working um, with people who have a diagnosis of a mental illness, one of the things that I realized is the workplace actually can have more influence than a family member can. Because sure. we can hold people accountable for certain behaviors. And um, with family, sometimes that's more difficult. But I remember mm -hmm. back um, many years ago working in an organization where they use the medicine wheel. So this is the indigenous medicine oh. wheel. Mm -hmm. And each day we would check in saying where we were mentally in terms of our mm -hmm. cognitive process, emotionally, mm -hmm. as you say, with feelings. Mm -hmm. um, physically and spiritually, which meant your energy level um, okay. in that mm -hmm. context. And mm -hmm. so we were to say very briefly where we were on each of those. And then the best way for people to support me today is, mm. and it could be leave that. me alone or, totally. um, yes. yeah. It, it, yeah. So it was, uh, and it's funny because I forgot about it until you just oh. said what you said yeah. here now, but it was when you're talking about what's the motivation, do they want to do this? Mm -hmm. We actually didn't have a choice. That was our check-in process. Okay. And so people who were less wanting to be self-aware were forced to become more self-aware because they had to answer the question each day. And mm -hmm. fine was not an answer, was not an sure. acceptable yeah. answer. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh it, my gosh. I love it. That's so did they actually have like a wheel thing and was there different things on it? Like they explained the wheel to us, but in the end, okay. we just sat in a circle and just did it. it right. Okay. It, nobody needed the wheel because you just had to remember sure. four things, but right, right, right. Even I remember the question, you know, made me understand at that time that mm -hmm. I was not even aware of my body. Like just, mm -hmm. I lived in my head. Yeah. So how mm -hmm. are you physically was like, oh, I don't know. Like nothing hurts. I guess I'm okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, mm -hmm. so, uh, so you, that's a great, yeah, so, sorry. I just want to say that's a great example of an answer to the previous question where you talked about what can the organization do, right? That's exactly something an organization could do is build, doesn't necessarily have to be exactly that, although it sounds awesome. 
build up, you know, building a practice in like that where you're checking in, or again, if you're, um, even if it's one-to-one, a one-to-one conversation with a colleague where you're, you know, it's the beginning of the day and you're asking them like, how are you? It's a true, how are you? Not, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks. How are you? Fine. Thanks. Great. And now we move on. Right? Like that doesn't serve anybody. <laughs> right. So yeah. I think that's awesome. And what a great idea for, for leaders and for organizations to do. Cause again, like I said, and you know how I was saying about the leadership where if it's like, yeah, if somebody's like, I just got some bad news. I am okay to work, but I just need some space today. Then that's great. And people know. And then again, it's also the way we talked about assumptions where if there wasn't that conversation and that person who got bad news and is kind of just feeling sad or grumpy or whatever it is, that when they're projecting that, the person they're projecting it to isn't then thinking like, oh my God, did I do something? Are they mad at me? Or like, oh gee, that person's like a, you know, bad swear word name, right? Like they know, oh, it's because they're going through something, right? Yeah. So how much better would our relationships be at, within our work environment if we were a little bit more open about these things, right? Like the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. I think it's fantastic. Right. And the, and everybody's going to be different. So some people will be happy to share the details of what they're going mm-hmm. through. Others mm-hmm. don't want to, but it doesn't sure. matter. The authenticity right. is sharing that they're struggling yeah. with something, right? And Sure. Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't, I'm not saying like everybody has to share the specifics, but at least it's the, I'm struggling today. That's all maybe you just have to say. And then people know, okay. Yeah. You know, let's give them some space <laughs> or it, be kinder, you know? Yeah. Uh, can you share with us some of the successes that you've had in your career, whether it's a story about an individual who will remain mm-hmm. confidential, but, mm-hmm. um, or if it was a team or an organization, what are some of the successes that you've had? Um, yeah, so I think for me, a lot of stuff has been, uh, I hear quite a bit more on the individual side of things. And a lot of it is honestly just, it's going to sound so silly and simple, but it's so, it's, it's, again, this is the stuff that matters, right? Where, you know, after a presentation on sleep, I get a message saying, you know, two days later, Hey, I tried some of the tips that you suggested and I had a way better sleep. Amazing. Right. Like this is awesome. Or one of the sessions uh, that I do is on movements. And I talk about basically just moving more in your day. Never mind, like if you're not exercising, okay, fine, like that can come, but just move your body more physically. Um, and I, I had mentioned about doing a dance party as an option of how to move more. And I got a message uh, again a few days later with somebody saying, you know, oh, I moved, I know I did a little dance party in my living room and it just lifted my spirits and I actually had more energy to, to continue on the rest of my day, right? So it's these things that uh, bring me joy and, and, you know, make me happy about doing the things that I do. And again, it's just examples of all these little pieces, right? Like I'm not getting, you know, messages from, from people being like, I ran a marathon today, right? Like, no, maybe you did a 10 minute walk, like awesome, right? This is, this is the stuff that matters. Um, you know, I think that that's, again, it's the little, the little successes. There's, um, I'll just share this is a more like scientific specific thing, but in terms of movement and energy, um, there's something called meat. I don't know if you've heard about it, uh, but it basically is all the movement that you do that isn't exercise. 
And that actually accounts for more energy usage in your day, more calorie consumption than even exercise does. So the point of all of that is that all the little things that you do in your day to move your body, like me moving my hands around right now, um, you know, if I'm walking to and from the kitchen or up, up and down some stairs, all of that combined in my day, generally for a person is about like, let's say 22 to 25%. Whereas if you were to do exercise, that may make up only 8% or even less, right? So this is where, again, all those little things that you think are, you know, don't even matter as a whole add up. And, you know, I think, you know, if I, if I can, um, you know, get that into people's minds, I think that that can, you know, make a big difference. Right. Cause again, we go back to the whole time, time starved professional thing. That's real. I'm not at all trying to downplay it. Um, but work with that build in times, uh, for you to be taking a snack break, right. Instead of maybe downing your fifth cup of coffee at 2, <laughs> 2 PM, uh, your body probably needs some water and a snack, right? So, you know, take five minutes for that. And, uh, you know, again, coming back to there's so many things and I'm thinking of another one right now. It's how can the organization help? Well, maybe we don't book 30 minute meetings. Maybe we book 25 minute meetings and maybe we don't book 60 minute meetings. Maybe we book 50 or 55 minute meetings so that people don't have back to back to back to back meetings where they can't get off of their chair because they will not be at the meeting, right? So again, there's these are little things organizations can do. Or maybe I know a lot of organizations do like no meeting Fridays or no meeting Wednesdays, right? Where you're encouraging staff to do other work things that are not just sitting in a meeting, right? Um, yeah. So I think these these are some things uh, for people to think about for sure. These are all great ideas, Lydia, but I just know that there's mm -hmm. people who are listening going, what yeah. did you tell that person who got a good night's sleep? What did you tell them? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sure, I can absolutely share about that. Um, so top sleep tips would be be in bed by 1030 at the latest. And I know, I know right now people are cringing because it's so hard. Um, they you know, stay up late watching shows or they're doing work or they're doing house things or whatever. Um, but it really does honestly make a difference. Your body really does start to naturally sort of shut itself down um, around that time. Um, and to that point, really trying to get this, you know, a same bedtime, same wake up time, that sort of consistency, have your circadian rhythm actually be a rhythm and, and have that consistency there. Um, some tips for falling asleep, because that's often a problem for many people. One of my best tips that I have gotten really great feedback from is dimming your lights. So what happens in our bodies is that when we have daylight that coming into our eyeballs, it tells your brain that it's still daytime. And so it doesn't produce the serotonin that you need to help you to be tired and fall asleep. With the invention of the light bulb and electronics, <laughs> we are artificially keeping ourselves awake longer. You know, if people who go camping, you'll know that you get tired earlier when the sun goes down because it's dark and your body then is like, oh, it's dark. I should go to bed. But when we're at home and it's 
10 p.m. or 11 p.m. and we've got our bright lights on, our body still is thinking that it's daylight. So dimming your lights is one of the best and easiest and free ways to help your body to tell itself that it's time to go to sleep. And part of the challenge with this is that people are waiting for their bodies to be tired, but with their environment, their body is not getting the signal to tell them that they're going to be, they're supposed to be tired, right? So we have to change the signal, change the environment, let your body know, oh, it's dark now, it's lights are dim. And your body will then naturally be producing that serotonin that you need to feel sleepy. And then once you feel sleepy, you're like, okay, and now I'm sleepy and should go to bed now, right? So that is my uh, one of my top tips for sure. Um, I also definitely recommend getting off the electronics. So I will admit, I do watch TV before bed. It is not one of the things that is recommended, but we've talked about the 80-20. That is part of my... Um, but I do get off my laptop and I do get off my phone and I put them away. They turn off. I have my notifications off, uh, actually at 8.30, which, you know, I worked my way to that. Um, but highly, highly recommend shutting down those things, especially the scrolling on the phone. Um, it's very stimulating on your brain, which again is not conducive to telling your body that it's time to relax and sleep. So we want to be doing activities that are a little more calming, a little bit more relaxing, again, to get our body into that more relaxed state where it can feel like it's tired enough and relaxed enough to fall asleep. So I have lots more tips. Um, those are some of my top ones. Uh, message me if you want more. I'm happy to share them. <laughs> um, you know, Lydia, something that I started to do, and I realize it's completely connected to the bedtime story right? I read a child a bedtime story and often mm -hmm. they fall asleep before you're finished. Yes. And I use um, Audible and okay. you can put a sleep thing on. So after 30 minutes, it'll stop. So you're not going to mess mm. miss a lot of the story because gotcha. you fall asleep. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I find that stops my mm -hmm. monkey mind, right? Mm -hmm. Stops me and, and yes. lets me relax. But I agree yeah. with you. I'm an eight to nine hour a night sleeper. And I need it. It uh, yeah. allows me to function the rest of the day. Um, yeah. You also said something earlier that, again, resonated with me as uh, working on yourself. I say I feel like I've been through about 10 years of therapy because mm -hmm. in the couple of decades that I've been doing this, of course, you learn about modalities, you learn about ideas and concepts. And you start mm -hmm. to internalize them, right? You start to go, oh, that one would work for me. And mm -hmm. um, it's a great, uh, a great way to improve the quality of your life. Mm -hmm. when, when you look back over the years of what we were telling employers about well-being compared to what you're telling them now, what would you mm -hmm. say has been that evolution? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you're asking about like for me personally or just sort of industry in general. Well, you as a specialist, you as a workplace yeah. well-being specialist, like what, yeah. what do you think has changed in workplaces that if somebody's doing a program they set up 20 years ago, um, yeah. how would that differ from? Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, great question. Absolutely. I think there's been a lot of changes. Um, I think the biggest ones would be where uh, the wellness and the work were 
seen as very separate as opposed to intertwined. And it was a lot of like, we're going to offer a fitness class or we're going to offer a yoga class or bring in a massage therapist once a month. And like not dissing those, I've done those things. Well, not the massage. I've done, I've given fitness classes and that sort of stuff. Uh, I think it has a, a place, but it's a very small component. And I think previously a lot of companies were like, cool, we did these things. We're offering wellness to our staff. And it's a lot of the stuff that we're, we've been talking about where it's embedded into the organization. And there's so many internal factors within the organization that contribute to the person's well-being, right? Like you said, I mean, uh, we're often more impacted by our work environment, by our workplace, by our colleagues than our own family. We spend a lot of time at work, right? Or working. And so I think now there's been that realization that, oh, okay, it's not just us providing apples in the break room and giving a yoga class. It's the things about the boundaries. It's the things about workload or making sure that there is like, like I even mentioned, like the meaning thing, like things like that, that are embedded into the actual functioning of the organization. Um, again, so it's more, it's more of that integrated approach. And then of course, um, you know, we were just saying how the uh, psychological standards is going to be 10 years next year. Um, I think that's been a shift as well, where we're looking at mental health component as a piece of wellness. Um, and I mean, I think from that standpoint, just the fact that it's, I, I, I do think there's still a stigma around mental health, but I see a lot of things that are breaking down in terms of that stigma and a lot of the barriers. Um, I'm very heartened by my young uh, 17-year-old niece who, you know, was taking mental health days during her high school um, and, and emailing her teacher saying, I need to take a mental health day today. And I, I was like, this is fantastic. Like this younger generation has now grown up with exactly what we wanted and what we're trying to do with adults, but we're so stuck in our ways a lot of times, right? Um, so I think that's, you know, really, there's a lot of negative stuff about the younger generation, but I think that's one very positive thing that they are very, they're way more self-aware and they're way more comfortable talking about mental health and mental health issues. And I think even looking to the future uh, in terms of what wellness in the workplace is going to be like, I think that's going to be an area where we're going to see a significant shift. Um, I think even in terms of like, again, like we talked about where the integration is allowing more flexibility. So to me, a company that allows flexibility in where and how you work is a company that is focused on wellness. That to me is a piece of the wellness puzzle for that company, for the employees. So that's, that's where I see kind of the shifts going and, and the current uh, previous changes that have happened. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'd like to say I violently agree with you, but they say that's kind <laughs> of uh, <laughs> a harsh way to say it, but I passionately yeah. <laughs> agree with you that we can have all the programs that we want. If we don't integrate mm -hmm. it into the way we treat each other, then mm -hmm. we're not going to change anything. And mm -hmm. I think back to, you know, the early 1800s, where if you were hurt at work, it was too bad, so sad, we'll get somebody mm -hmm. else. And mm -hmm. the physical health and safety was considered a personal responsibility. 
And mm. like you say, um, our younger generation understands our mental health is just part of the human condition. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, some people will have a diagnosis, but um, Dr. Ron Kessler at Harvard said about half of us could have a diagnosis if when we weren't sleeping well, when we were ruminating mm. about things, when we were really stressed out, if we actually went, um, <laughs> we could get a For diagnosis, sure. but uh, it's yeah. just part of our condition. And uh, many of us can manage and live with it if we can mm-hmm. be, as you say, authentic and honest and um, bring it forward. So mm-hmm. yeah, thanks for yeah. all of that. I know we're yeah. getting close to the end of our time. And I want to ask you another question. And that sure. is, how would you describe what it feels like to be in a psychologically healthy and safe workplace to somebody who has no concept of it at all? Yeah, I think, you know, when you ask this question, the first thing that comes to my mind is freedom in the sense that you are free to feel comfortable, um, that you feel like you can express yourself fully without judgment, um, without, you know, being reprimanded. Um, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, even just giving your opinion on something and have it be a different opinion from others can be scary. And so I see a, a workplace that is psychologically safe as a place where dissenting or different opinions are valued and encouraged even, you know, and that they're seen as a way to get the best product or get the best result when we have a diverse opinion on something. Um, so I think it's, it's, to me, it's a place where you aren't feeling scared for expressing a thought or an opinion that you have. Um, I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's kind of my first initial, one of my first initial thoughts. Well, and it's really one of the first initial markers, right? Mm -hmm. When you're in a place where everybody just smiles and nods, they never disagree. They never have an opinion. Um, Mm -hmm. That may look like it's a high functioning place, (laughs) but it's usually just uh, fear-based, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, Lydia, what if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, wanted to use your services and and help improve their own workplace culture and well-being? How would they get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, they can reach me on my website. So it's fithealthy365.com. Uh, you can send me an email, Lydia, L-Y-D-I-A, at fithealthy365.com, or find me on LinkedIn, Lydia DeFrancesco. Uh, I'm always happy to make new connections and meet new people. Uh, I do ask if you're going to connect with me, please just include, if you can, a personalized note. Tell me that you heard me on the podcast. Uh, just let me know where you found me from, and uh, I'd love to connect. Oh, that's great. And you'll make it simple for them. Absolutely. Always. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Because if we can make those changes in our health and well-being and our organizational culture, and we can do it in an easy way that's embedded in how business is done, um, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we do it? Oh, totally. It's it's a win-win-win. Like everybody wins. The employees win. The leadership team wins. The customers or clients or whomever you're serving wins. The organization as a whole wins. Like it's just yeah, why wouldn't you? It's, it's exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you very much. So the Psych Health and Safety Podcast, for those of you who are listening, subscribe and you get to hear more brilliant people like Lydia. So why wouldn't you do that too? (laughs) Thanks a lot, Lydia. Thank you, Marianne. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Canada podcast. To stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in North America, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com. Thank you.